The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go! You're wasting time! Welcome to Pottercast, your number one source for news, theories, discussion and interviews with people from the Potter books and films. I know a small amount myself having written the books. My name is J.K. Rowling. I am now happy to introduce your hosts, Melissa, John and Sue. And Frank. Wow, wow, the snake! <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Welcome to Podcast 206. We are all on Twitter this week for a very, 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 very specific reason, but we'll get to that later. Once again, it's Podcast. Uh. My name is Melissa. I'm here with John, Frack, and Sue, and we're in for another week of fantastic Potter happening. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go right to it. Okay. We're going to get started this week with a, a lower number of news articles, but... But just as cool. And now we turn to regular contributor for an update on how the new wizarding order is affecting the muggle world. (laughs) Yeah, we got some long-awaited news about the DVDs. And and I just felt that there was so much information that came out that we really needed to focus just on all the new really cool stuff. First, Harry Potter and Half-Life Prince DVD has been confirmed to be released here in the United States on December 8th. Which is Woo! yay, yay! You know, I we were I'm buying it. I I am too. I think, and then it's coming in a lot of different um, packs. There's going to be like you know, you can buy just the regular single disc. Then there's also a really cool one that you can get um, a digital download to. And there's so many um, bonuses that I know the last show we had talked about it, but you will be getting uh, Joe Rowling's um, the documentary about the year in a life with J.K. Rowling, and uh, I think that's yay! really worth getting. Um, yeah. Finally, I mean, how are they fitting this all? Honestly, how are they fitting this all? It's coming out when? On December 8th. Oh, the 8th. I thought you the 28th. No, the 8th. Because, um, uh, like, the UK actually gets it a day before. And then, like, what? um, I know. What? I know. Revolt. But, but know even, like, Australia snakes? gets it earlier than that. They get it at the end of November, I think, with France and Germany. What the all world? All time differences, you know. You know. What the world? Daylight savings. All right, what else? Um, and on that, just one note, as we talked about, um, you'll will have heard that we're also getting um, an 11-minute feature on the upcoming Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park, which is really cool. So if you haven't seen the videos. and Yeah, we saw a very brief clip of that when we were down there. And when I say very brief, I mean extremely brief. They told us they were giving us a preview of it. And I was sitting next to Andrew from MuggleNet, and we were sitting there waiting for this preview of this clip. We were all excited. And they went, it like an owl flew in, and it, and it had like four like flashes of like Dan and maybe like one of the rides. And then it went... And then it faded out. <laughs> no, <laughs> literally, it goes. And Andrew and I just slowly turned to each other. We're like, really, really? It was a literal blink of an moment. More than a blink's worth. Like ride footage, and the rides aren't done. No, but John, it's an eleven-minute feature. When they say they're giving us a preview, it could be longer than you know, fourteen seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. It was funny. I mean, whatever. You know, they're, they're ready with whatever they're ready with, but it was it was, it was amusing. So, oh, that's uh. funny. So, okay, when Warner Brothers announced this, they announced a whole uh, lot of other cool things that were getting on the same date. And one of those things is going to be a new Harry Potter DVD game. And uh, this one is called The Wizarding World Game. And this one will focus cool. on years 
four, five, and six. Ooh, that's random. Very, very interesting, which made me think that they're going to do four, five, and six. Yes. And dumb. Yes. It's very, uh, okay. But uh, I mean, and, and, and iPhone app. What's that, Mel? Sorry. No, what was that? So the next news article, news item, and I'm psyched. No. An iPhone app. Yes, an iPhone app, which is really what? Good. Yes, a brand new iPhone application. Now that actually comes out in November, and it is it will turn your iPhone or iPod Touch into a wand. Ah! Oh, yes. What if I'm? What if I like the shape that it is now? Well, but you can duel me, and we can talk oh. about it. We what can duel. Like shape that Thirteen so spells. Does, does the phone know if you're? Uh, if you're a Hufflepuff, <laughs> so it knows to un- underperform the spells. You know what? But <laughs> what I'm wondering is if it's going to be motion sensitive. Like no. it, sorry. What oh, I wonder is shoot. if it's going to be motion sensitive. If it's going to know what movement you've made. I don't think it'll spell. be that good. I don't know. I have a I have an application that ha- it's like a slide, and you 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 have to move it around. So I mean, it 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 knows movement. It may not be yeah. very precise, but. It knows if, it'll know it's being moved, I guess, but I mean, it's not going to probably know intricate patterns like a like a Nintendo Wiimote or something like that would. How not. intricate is Wingardium Leviosa, really? Well, uh, if you wanted to be able to do like a counterclockwise spin, I might recognize that. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. I can't wait for it. I think it'll be cool. Really good. So yeah, that, that will be coming out in November, though, um, shortly before the DVDs are released. And the big cool things that are coming out on December 8th, are the first two in the Ultimate Collection Collector's Editions. Yes. See, I don't believe them. Ultimate Collector's Edition, before the last movie comes out, means there's going to be another Ultimate Ultimate Collector's Edition after the last well, movie no comes wait, out. Well, no wait, though, because they're only releasing one and two, right? No, they confirmed, though, that they are going to do all of the movies. We got a, we saw a video. Yeah, yes, sure. yes, they're doing it. And there's two boxes shown for Deathly Hallows 1 and 2, so... Each of them. So for right now, though, for right now, though, they're only, they're only releasing one and two, correct? Yes. And they so by the time that those are two movies each Christmas for the next three years, probably. Yeah. So then by the time that seven's ready to come out, then they'll be up to that point anyway. So I'm waiting. They're not going to re- redo like the first disc again. I'm I mean, they might like make for... it like one box. I'm waiting for the eight movie collection. I want to bring it home in a box. Maybe I'll probably make the box. They're, of course they're going to make the box. Well, if you I, just make like a trunk, like Harry's trunk, and then you can just buy they, the trunk. They did it with the books. They did it with the books. Yeah. But you know what they have out in France? And I saw, I think maybe England can get it now, but there's they're making, you know, the uh, Noble Collection um, Hogwarts Castle. They have that out. Yeah. And then at the bottom is a tray for the DVDs. And there's spaces in there that you can put the DVDs for uh, Deathly Hallows. So maybe... Sweet. You know, maybe that's what we'll get, Melly. I don't know. But cool. these Ultimate Collector's things are really cool. Everyone, to to answer the questions, you are getting the extended edition of the movie with the deleted scenes put in the movie. You are getting the regular movie. So just and the, you just sit down and watch Yes. It. Done. Done. Boom. Handled. So you're getting both of those in that box. Both of them will be there along with, if you buy the Blu-ray, this is the best part, news of all. A Chris Columbus commentary. Mm. Yes. I mean, yes. finally. I mean, my God. The, the first movie came out in 2001. It's going to be almost 2010 by the time this comes out. It took him nine years to do a commentary. Aye, aye, aye. Commentaries are hard. We know that for... Commentaries are awesome. We did five in, like, three years. Yeah. yeah. Without and the technology they have and money much they more have. To talk about intelligently, because exactly. they know, like, oh, this <laughs> scene's hard. They can actually say what happened. We just make it up. 
<laughs> right. It's I need another establish. commentary because I've only got to do one. Oh, we got to do more. I mean, yeah. frack, we have... Have, have we done all five? No. One through four. No, we didn't do the sixth one yet. Or the uh, fifth one. Uh, yeah, six is not part of the five. Uh, did we ever do? No, we didn't do all five. We're missing one. Yeah. We're missing one. What one have we not done? Five. Uh, five. Are you sure? No. Yeah, because the one we did was her was um was book three, three a three because that's when I was on there. Oh, they're saying that we did five. They're saying we did five. Oh, we did five, and then we went back and did three with three with Frack. We've yeah. done five. Did we not? I think we've done them all. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did we do number four? Because I remember us talking about Grop. And that cracked me up because one of the games, uh, one of the little sub games on that DVD game is actually Gotcha Grops Gotcha game. And I'm like, and you have to Ew, do what? a thing with the handlebars. I'm Girl. not kidding you. That's part of that Girl. DVD. What Stomping is with the those forest. stupid handlebars? <laughs> Where did they come from? I cannot stand the fact that in one scene it's there and then all of a sudden it's in his hands magically. Does Grop know magic? <laughs> Sorry. We don't know. He grabbed it. So what is... I don't know, Frankie. You know what I bet Grop doesn't say? Meow, meow, I'm a snake! Okay. But it's so amazing. And one of the cool things, too, that we're going to see, the cast are coming on and, and, and commenting on the thing. So they'll, like, the picture-in-picture thing. So we we have it up in our gallery. We have a preview picture of um, Dan Ratcliffe talking over when the... Um, Hermione, Ron, and Harry are at the, the talking on the uh, astronomy tower. So he's talking about. So it'll be nice to hear from the cast members on that, which would be really cool. And, and one of the things I'm most looking forward to, I have to say, on all the there's like a slew of like bonus things, is that we're going to hear interviews from like Professor Sprout and Molly. Oh, thank God. I love. We have a giant list here. Professors and more enjoy personal moments with the professors and others mm-hmm. as they discuss their characters: Lockhart, Malfoy, Pomona Sprout, Molly Weasley, Arthur Weasley, Dumbledore, Rubius Hagrid, Professor Snape, Vernon Dursley, Aunt Petunia. Oh McGonagall and gosh. Sue's like, and they're going to interview Sprout. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, she gets top billing, obviously. You We're are all reverse, to her contribution. You are a reverse houseist, Sue. Well, uh, her secret life on, under the earth of Hogwarts. It's true. Uh, but you know what's, but what we saw, though, in the trailer, we had this, they, uh, they've released a really cool trailer for it. And you know what we saw? We saw Alan Rickman is understand this people how cool this is because we never hear from him talk about his role as Severus Snape and it's yet he's going to be on on the uh, Chamber of Secrets DVD there he is going to be talking about Snape I can't wait for that that will be that is awesome well, I can't wait to see the outtakes from when he did the, um, the witch hat thing in 3 uh, they've got to oh, have that yeah. they have to be saving that for the ultimate edition it's all CG oh, so, so it's really cool um, uh, we have a slew of of Ira's artwork and stuff. I just really, really want you to go check that out and see the the trailer for it because there's interviews with Hermione and Ron, and we saw their 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 tests, their cast. Um, what do they do it? They call that when the first three of them go together. I don't know what do they call that. The uh, screen screen test. test. Thank you. That that's there you see that, and I just think that they just look so young, and it's just um, I really urge you to go check that out. It's very cool. Even if you don't buy it, just go check out the the trailer. It's really cool. And you know, hey, did Joe just tweet? You know, and that's you know what else is new? There's only one other piece of news. <laughs> one piece of news. What's that, Scoos? There's somebody. It's got me all a Twitter. I'm just twittering uh, because you know who's on Twitter now? Joe Rowling. I don't know. J- J.K. Uh, Rowling. 
Okay, take it away, Melly. I'm so excited. Well, yeah, I know this. I mean, I wish it's one of these beautiful news articles because it's like five, it, all you need is five words. J.K. Rowling is on Twitter. That's it. That's the end. She there was okay. Somebody emailed us. Um, Professor Cassandra yes. emailed us. We're gonna check right now. This morning there were 283 followers of this of this Twitter account, J.K. underscore Rowling, because because and I'm gonna check this right now. Twitter.com slash JK Rowling with nothing. Oh, it doesn't exist. Okay. Maybe that person, maybe it got deleted. Anyway, somebody emailed us and said, it says this is verified, but really? And so because we've had so (laughs) So many many. verified, unverified things over the years now, we're not just taking that at face value. We emailed, you know, Joe's people to say like, really, really, is this her? Um, And they, they got right back to us and said, yep. That's her. She started a Twitter account to, because there are so many fake J.K. Rowling. So many. That she started one to verify it so that everybody would know that that is the real her. However, she also said she's not going to be Twittering very often. That was a week ago. Also confirmed that she's writing right yes, now. Yes, that's the major news for me. Yeah. Pen oh, and come paper. Come on, Joe. You can't, you can't fool us to think that it takes a considerable amount of effort to type 140 characters in a tweet twi- post. This is, this is what I was telling, saying to Sue before the show. This is what we all do. We all start a Twitter, and like everybody's first tweet is like, fine, I'll Twitter. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, sure, whatever. I don't, I'm not really going to use this thing, but somebody made me get it. It's what we all say. And then six months later, you start doing mm-hmm. it, and it's, it's oddly gratifying. Yeah. And then you do it again. Making it again. a sandwich. Eating my sandwich. One of my favorite things is when I have something to say and it's exactly 140 characters. I get so they, excited. There's a name for that. Is it a twit bang or something? There's like a what? There's like a, a a specific name for an exact 140 character tweet. I don't know. A twoosh. Is it twoosh? just like a bingo and Scrabble? But now a, a twoosh. I think it's called a twoosh. You know, <clears throat> I don't. That's know. hilarious. I don't know. Just the idea of just, like, say Joe decides I'm gonna tweet at my friend Stephen Fry. Can you imagine? Just, you'll be able to go on. No, Sue, you know what the problem is going to be? My brain explodes. Because she's, no, because she's going to start Twittering. And every time she says something, it has to be a news post. You, well, yeah. <laughs> True. Well, all we'll do is just put a little box on Wiki with all of her yeah. tweets. JK Rowling is eating cereal right now, guys. No, I'm not posting that. We'll, but- we'll make a little graphic with a big speech bubble above her head, and it'll just be every tweet she says. It'll just be live on the page. You know, okay. what, what will happen, though, to the day, this is my prediction, the day if she says anything about that Scottish book, it will become the number one retweeted tweet in the history of Twitter. I just love it because this morning there were 283 I think so things. I made the news post and I checked 2 minutes later. There were then 800. And it's just been going faster and faster. It has been now 6 hours since I posted that article. There's 20,000 subscribers. That's just crazy wow. mad. <laughs> and I bet by the time the show airs it's going to be like 500 six times that. Yeah. 5 6 12 times. I mean, there's an AP story we 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 told some people there's an ap story there's an entertainment weekly story and, I mean, yeah. everybody's yes. re- repeating the news yeah it's amazing i mean to be fair i, I referred a lot of followers to her when i okay, tweeted about it i just it. want to tell you something about three seconds ago somebody wrote in the chat that it was nineteen thousand nine hundred and ninety two, and three seconds later somebody went she hit twenty thousand. <laughs> see it just go it's madness it is <laughs> it's, just, it's awesome it's it's amazing she's gonna leave ashton kutcher just in the dust He's, yeah, and look, well, bye-bye, Lindsay. Coming. See ya. Uh, 20,006 right now, by the way. I, I just, you know, I just, I'm thrilled because Joe has such a way with words. She could just, you know, say, oh, you know, what if she wrote with the word Malfoy? That's 
all she would have to say, just something like that, just to, you know, kind of have fun with us, and it would be like the best thing ever. 2034, by the way. 20,034. Well, that'll be a fun podcast segment every week. We'll see how many Twitter followers Joe has. We have to at the beginning of every week. Oh, that's a great idea. uh, (laughs) It's podcast 207. million followers. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Good times. Well, I mean... I, I just I just love it because Twitter it's such a great vehicle for getting great little thoughts that you have out mm-hmm. you know not great but stupid thoughts that you don't think that you're ever going to you know share if it wasn't that you had this this audience mm-hmm. and like Sue was saying before the show started it's there it's somewhat safe there's a bubble she can have that instant access mm-hmm. without endangering herself without endangering her her privacy exactly it's just I think it's sort of liberating in a way I don't know I just uh... he's going to change the world. 40 ca- 140 characters at a time. That's awesome. Well, she can rock our world anytime, Joe. She can tweet whatever. I love it. Yeah. Somebody somebody just said, imagine if she tweeted to say she was listening now. I would laugh so ah, hard. I she would was die. Like, oh, listening to live part <laughs> I would get a nosebleed Sorry. and pass out. <laughs> what? what is it that's so exciting about this? It's just, it's just so, she's right there. It's so yeah. immediate. It just takes down another wall, yeah. you know? She's just like you cool. and us, you and me, and anybody. You know, I just—it's <laughs> like in one of those magazines. They're just like us. They're real. They tweet. They're really real. <laughs> they tweet. They tweet things tweet. and eat things. I don't know. All right, she could have fun um, though, man. She could have so much fun with us. Oh, like on like April thing. Fools or Halloween or Christmas or something. From the Scottish book, you know, she could let us know what she's working on. Yeah, Joe. She could let us know that her site was updated faster than we find out ourselves. We find out pretty fast, no. but that would be awesome. I think we'd find her. out. Actually, I think we'd find out before she did. <laughs> would be awesome. Uh, well, let's wrap up this okay. little intro and do our wrap up, kids. Okay. All right. Well, what, fine, what we got then. coming on this Bye. show anyway? I don't know. I don't know, John. You tell me. Tell us what's going on. Uh, the show. This show is going to be a great show because we have the return of one of you guys' favorite newest segment. The Potter pundits no! are back. I love With it. An all new segment, all new topic. It's going to be awesome. I want to be and, on it. Uh, just before that, we'll have uh, a brand new uh, edition of Princely Pieces, uh, Half Blood Bits. Drop by and, drop. Um, drop by drop. We'll take uh, Spinner's End for you. I'm going to go ahead and set that out because that chapter bores me. Okay, sure. Um, and uh, and then we're going to wrap it up. Cool. Awesome. Well, Frack, if J.K. Rowling was going to tweet about Nagini, what would, what would it say? He would not. Nagini's very collected, but I know what she wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like your joke. Is Taking the characterization of the animal into account. Very well done. Okay. Oh, Frankie. Who's the Half Blood Prince? Who? That's what it says right here. This book is property of the Half Blood Prince. So here we are with Half-Blood Bits, I mean Princely Pieces. Yeah. Drop by drop. And what are we discussing this week? Guys? Oh, I like this scene. It wasn't quite as good as the book, but I like the scene of Spinner's End. Nothing's ever as good as the book. No. We should dispense with that. Every time we go, oh, this wasn't as good as the book. There's, uh, there's, no, I think there's maybe even like one instance in all the movies in which we've said, oh, that was better than the, the book. Fa- you know? That's fish. true. The fish. But you know, I was really keen on the scene because this was the scene that was so just like shocked me when I was reading the book. So I was, you know, in your mind when you're like, 
you know, here we're going to meet Narcissa, finally. And this was so intense. The snake, snake, snake revealed. This was a cool shot. I like how they came, the camera comes in. It started out and it's like, like through that narrow. Do you guys remember? It goes like through that narrow, two of them running along and... I say I gave David Yates a lot of credit for this. The way he came in, it was just the two of them going in through the buildings. It was like, you know, in the in the movie or in the book too. And I was like, oh, this matches this kind of frantic, kind of mysterious kind of scene of the two of them just going along. And Helena Bonacarter, man, she just rocks. She's amazing. Yeah, that's a good segue. This That was the first scene that I actually liked her as Bellatrix. I did not like her as Bellatrix in the, uh, in the fifth one. She was way too crazy for me. Like Bellatrix yeah. in my head See? is so much more like a snake, you know, like collected mm-hmm. and just dangerous. You don't want to be around her. Like a snake doesn't go, yes, I'm a snake, you know, like around the room. Snakes are sneaky. <laughs> do that again. What do snakes they not go, do? Yes, I'm a snake. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm sorry. There was a little something I, I didn't quite hear you. What it's, is it again? Yeah, I'm a snake. Awesome. I'm going to request that you do that at random intervals from now on because that's one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. You know who's going to love Who? that? The owl. Oh, oh man. Is. The owl will. What if they're Great. best friends? Maybe. They are. So what were you going to say, Melly, about her? What did you, you didn't like her before? Did you like her in the scene? What did you think? Movie five for me, I had to like work to separate book Bellatrix and movie Bellatrix. Like, I don't understand what they were doing with movie Bellatrix and how attractive it was to have Helena Bottom Carter doing what she does best all over the screen. <laughs> You know, yeah. but book Bellatrix is yeah. sultry, a, a destroyed beauty. You know, she was once, and not that Helena Bottom Carter isn't gorgeous, but there's a whole different aesthetic. Yeah, I know what you that mean. I, that I think the like, book Bellatrix communicates. needs a hollow face, like a sunken, a like sunken she was beauty. Elegant, yeah, exactly. And that's you know, I- she was elegant and rich and high society, and she's been ravaged by prison by her own evil nature. You know, and it's not what was done in the movie. She's just nuts. See, I agree. That's like that's why I don't like the, the crazy Bellatrix so much because. I really like the whole fact that, like, she is extremely smart. She knows what she's doing. She's not just some fly off the seat of her hand. Like, there's moments, you know, when she yells in, in the books and she, she's a little eccentric. But for the most part, she's like, you don't mess with Bellatrix. Especially that scene in the the mansion in, this, in like, a, at Malfoy Manor in the seventh book. That is just like, oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. It's like, she knew exactly what to do in that situation. She grabbed, like, she wasn't gonna, she wasn't afraid. She was actually cutting her mining already. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was a threat. She knows what she's doing. She's calculated. Also, in terms of character path i mean when she gets out of prison we get a taste of her she's a little she's got that sultry we're sort of aware of what she can do but when she goes crazy when she freaks out that the that the horcrux has been taken in seven Mm -hmm. once you've gone over the top how much more over the top can she go it's not going to be a surprise to anybody watching it's not going to be an interesting piece of movie making because we've already seen her crazy so it's going to be curious to see how they differentiate an elevated reaction from bellatrix because all her reactions are extremely elevated maybe i don't or maybe they'll change it so that she's more reserved and not crazy, and that'll be the surprise. Well, like in the in in this in this scene with the whole like unbreakable vow and everything, like when she was just kind of fiddling around the room and kind of just kind of messing with Snape and pushing his buttons. I really enjoyed that. That's that's how she would go. Like that's how she mm-hmm. would be with Snape. She'd just be like really kind of arrogant and kind of snobby about it, and just kind of pushing his buttons and just kind of you know like I, I that that read really well. But I just think in battle, she's just like she gets she gets I don't know she gets too excited. Well, it's like when she cast the dark mark. Yeah. I really liked in the scene how when
when you were talking about how she was taunting Snape, Snape, mm-hmm. I thought that there was one scene when she came back and she walked around him and she put her chin on his shoulder and just yeah. her, the way of her voice told of her face and her head was so, it was, that was the calculated, that was the malicious, that was the, mm. you know, I'm right behind you. Yeah. And I thought that she played that for me. I was like, whoa, that was really, that moment right there was just. Yeah, that, that reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of, of Helena Von Carter rather than Bellatrix, but it was really powerful. Yeah, it was it was powerful. It's not. I mean, in uh in the book, also like it's Narcissa who speaks the words in the book. It's not Bellatrix. Bellatrix is there to bind the spell. One is supposed to ask the other person to do this vow. One is supposed to ask something of the other person. The other person agrees. The third person is there to bind the spell, and it seems like they just wanted to give more to Bellatrix yeah. mm-hmm. or maybe justify her being in the scene. Because what did, what do we think of Narcissa? Is totally different acting than in the book. It's totally played a hundred percent differently than See, what's in the part, book. I can't get over the fact that I knew that she was supposed to be Bellatrix in the fifth one, and I would have really liked her to play Bellatrix rather than Helena Carter because I like Helena Carter, but she's just too much for me sometimes. And so part of me is like, I don't like her as Narcissa because it seems like a really poor casting choice. Because it was like, oh, we were gonna have her be Bellatrix, let's have her be Narcissa. They're totally different characters. So like, I don't know, you know what I mean? And they don't even look alike. So I wasn't a huge. I didn't mind it because she did a good job of just being like, ooh, a, a, a concerned mom. But I don't. I think they could have done better casting. I can't get over the wacky hair. <laughs> I hate the Sorry. hair. I thought. I remember the day that we saw her picture, and I just could not believe that she had that skunk head. I just think I'm well, sorry. We didn't I know just... this, you guys, but she was she's rogue. Narcissa is rogue from X Men. Whatever, <laughs> supposed to be blonde. I, I, I can it... never get away from Heather McConaughey's uh, drawings of Narcissa and Lucius in my head. They're, they'll forever be the versions that are in my head because she draws them so well and hilariously. It's just this is the woman who's supposed to be the completely distraught mother in Seven. Right? She's just she looks just saddened and troubled. In the book, she's beside her. Herself. She's throwing herself at Snape's feet. In the movie, she's like, let me sip my port wine and cry a little. Uh, I, I was really I was really disappointed in this. I mean, you know, the thing is, she's really a good actress. And I just thought the way, I, I don't know why, that whole scene did not, her portrayal did not fly for me. And, and as a mom, I wanted to feel her, you know, anguish and why she's desperate going to Snape, of all people, you know, and why she's willing to make this unbreakable vow. You know, that kind of desperation that you would have just didn't come through for me and I, and I just but it, I was so distracted by her terrible hair that hair was awful I'm sorry whoever made that decision needs to be you that know, is a, talk to exactly <laughs> Melly. I mean my god it just took away from that I mean if you just want to focus on on like you know just on her face then okay maybe it would work better but I was just like so just aghast at what I was seeing there I'm like what I could do is focus on like is it gonna move you know I mean I didn't know and I wasn't paying attention to what was happening with that <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I know I don't mean to be like mean about it but serious come on wouldn't would it would it have killed anybody to make draco's mother a blonde no. would have been fine no maybe it was like a way just to because if i could see maybe it was just a really feeble attempt at making sure that people got they were sisters bellatrix and her giving her dark hair because they could just say well draco had the blonde hair from lucius and then someone's like wait wait a second well, we're gonna put a streak of blonde hair in this in narcissa here's the thing <laughs> i do, got it do they ever say in the movie that they're sisters yeah, she calls her sissy. Oh, wait, that's Narcissa short. Yeah, no, that's Narcissa. Yeah. I think so. They have Do to refer to her No, as I don't think it's really made clear. I mean, that, that it's, 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 you know, like Bellatrix, that this is her nephew. I don't really think that that's ever, I don't know. Maybe it was said later on, but I don't I don't remember that. I don't think so, Melly. That's a good point. Hmm. I thought they did, but I don't think they did. It seems so pointless. I don't know. 
I, I really like Bellatrix. I mean, what I was saying before about Bellatrix is that she, it took me a while to get over it, but I enjoy it. Like, I, I like, she is a little bit more pulled together and, and, and kind of awesome, snaky, weird Bella. Yeah. She, her and Rickman, though, the two of those, I thought Alan did a very good job in that scene. I thought. Except, 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 when. except take out your wand. Oh. Replace that line yes. with book or, <laughs> no, maybe it's the exact same wand, he, uh, wand line he used in another in another movie, right? Isn't it the exact same line, the exact same delivery as another yeah, take, your, out, take your out your wand? Take out your wand, yeah, or take out your books like when uh, he's subbing in Prisoner yeah. of Azkaban. Exact same yeah. delivery. Yeah. Exact same. I mean, I, I, I'm very happy with Alan Rickman in this film, but still, that little yeah. that just kind of bothers me. <laughs> There's so many, like, just little things, like, like when he said, Bellatrix, don't put down what doesn't belong to us or stuff. Oh, I like that. <laughs> It was just, and I like the little hiss yes. that Bellatrix yeah, yeah. made when he said that Dumbledore is a great wizard, mm-hmm. and she went, and, and she <laughs> did she go, some snake. She didn't do that. Uh, right, that's good. But what didn't she do? Some snake. She didn't no, do that. Didn't. You're right. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> you better get used to that because we're gonna make a we're gonna make a soundboard oh recording. And we should do a soundboard it. recording of just my random noises. You know, I don't. I, I don't know what what I was hoping for, but I guess I wanted the, the unbreakable vow to be a little bit. I don't know. I didn't want sparks to fly off of it or whatever. But then when she turned and took her hand and put her ring up, and it just kind of made me go, no, you know. I I liked it. What about the scar? They had they had a little scar from, yeah. the, from the spell. Like yeah, it makes sense if you're being if if you're gonna die unless you unless you carry out this promise. I think a scar is kind of the least you can expect. I know, but it just kind of looked. I don't know. Maybe it was the angle of the camera, or just like her hand was so. It just looked like so old forty style like look at my hand like Gloria Swanson I don't know it just kind of oh. I suppose that's piddly stuff and not important in the whole scheme that's of this thing stuff. it is totally piddly I thought a wormtail's hand looked kind of looked kind of junky what it looked like a like a like a <laughs> I don't know like something he picked up in a disco shop or- he was only in there for like a split second he would blink and he was yeah. gone who? oh yeah who wormtail who Pettigrew oh. wormtail so why did they bring him like what was the necessity did, would we really forget who wormtail in there? No. I'm glad he was in there because it's just gonna well we need we needed him in there just so when he dies in the next one right it's not this big surprise yeah like oh, who's right. that we haven't seen in a long From time movie three and the fact yeah. that he has a shiny hand you know like it seemed it seemed it's so totally- easy to keep him in because like it was easy to keep him in and he didn't need a big role so it was easy just to have him as a background character it would have been almost a shame not to in my opinion so so can here's my thing and i know that we're not supposed to compare the books to the film but i was really as do you think that people who have been following the films faithfully and have never read the book were shocked when it was kind of revealed in that moment that snape seemed like he was working for the dark lord all this time when you said i've been i fooled the greatest wizard of them all you know dumbledore it was it's very well condensed i'll tell you that yeah. was it like five pages of explanation in the book yeah because I, I just remember reading that and just still thinking no no joe's up to something here this is a double cross oh well you know? i mean we all know now what, yeah what went on so yeah well it was for me it was always a question of how is it a double cross because like snape was too much of it like and this is i don't know if this is good or bad but like the storyteller in me steps outside of the story and thinks like you would not invest and develop this awesome character to make him so two-dimensional as being turning on dumbledore and so like part of me was just i was just really super excited to see how it's going to play out and i figured it was going to be revealed at the end of the book because i thought 
he was not going to kill Dumbledore and that's who was going to die in the book. So mm-hmm. like that's that was my big theory. Like oh he's going to like Snape's going to die because he's going to refuse to feel, kill Dumbledore and it's going to be revealed, you know, because the, the unbreakable vow, all that la la la. Well, I think you guys have more that you want to say no, or we no. or I, I think we're good and next week we'll be back for the next scene. Yes. Which is such a complete contrast. You go from the dark gloom of Snape's lair there to the happy Weasleys. I love that shot. The little big head. It's fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. We'll see you next time on Half Blood Bits. Drop by drop on Priestly Bits. Hey, this is Travis Prinzi, One Year Potter Pundits. Just wanted to give you a quick intro to the segment that you're about to hear. We have taken note of your suggestions at Pottercast.com. We love them. There's a lot of great ones there, and we've actually even begun recording some segments that you'll hear in the future based on your suggestions. We want to hear and talk about what you want to talk about. But because it's October, and because it's Halloween time, we thought it would be appropriate to give you a couple of segments on scary elements of Harry Potter, particularly Harry Potter set in the context of gothic literature, which J.K. Rowling knows well and clearly has worked into her series. We have a special guest with us this time. You've got your regular pundits and then also Amy H. Sturgis, who is an expert on gothic fiction and has been teaching Harry Potter courses longer than anybody in academia. So we hope you enjoy this. We know you will. Uh, This conversation was an hour long, so we split it into two segments. So this is the first of our two segments on Harry Potter and gothic literature. Welcome to another segment of Potter Pundits. We have a special guest with us today and our regular pundits with us. We've got, of course, author of the Deathly Hallows Lectures, John Granger. Hello, John. Wonderful to be here, Travis. We have the author of Repotting Harry Potter, James Thomas. Hi, Travis. And also with us, a special guest pundit this week is fantasy and science fiction scholar Amy Sturgis, who has been teaching Harry Potter classes probably longer than anybody else since 2003. So hello, Amy. Hi, Travis. Thank you for having me with you today. Thank you for being with us. I feel like I need to do that intro again for everybody because, <laughs> I mean, the, we all have funny name connections. I mean, we've got John Hermione Granger, right? And then we've got James Potter Thomas. <laughs> and we've got Amy Sturgis Podmore. Right? <laughs> and then we've got Travis the Half-Blood Frenzy. So we've, it, we've all got funny Harry Potter names. Well, anyway, there we go. Um, you need to mention Amy's university affiliation. Oh, yes. Amy, you're with Belmont University. Yes. Yeah. So we're bringing you some special, uh, some special programming this time because we're recording these, of course, four segments that we hope will be up on Pottercast in October. It's Halloween time, so it's time to talk about scary stuff and gothic literature and that sort of thing. And uh, when it comes to gothic literature, not a ton of work has been done yet on the gothic elements of Harry Potter, believe it or not. In fact, I think it was in 2008, uh, June Cummins' essay in uh, the gothic and children's literature was really the first serious treatment, and one if you can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but the first really beginning in-depth treatment of the gothic and Harry Potter happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she mentioned that there wasn't much up till that point. At the end of the same year, I published Harry Potter and Imagination, did an entire chapter on elements of fear in the fairy tale, and then, uh, it, it, just a couple months ago, John Granger, um, John, you did uh, Harry Potter's Bookshelf, and you have a gothic chapter in there. 
Um, so not a ton of work that has been done, but we have Amy Sturgis with us because she is working on a book now called The Gothic Imaginations of J.R.R. Tolkien, Madeline Lengel, and J.K. Rowling, which is, I'm certain, going to be a very fascinating read on the topic of Gothic in, with those authors, and Harry Potter fans are going to love it. And uh, by the way, I should just say now so that I don't forget, if you want to keep in touch with Amy and find out you know, when this book is coming out, amyhsturgis.com is where you should go. All right, so, Amy, you being our gothic expert here today, writing a book on it, can you sort of give us, you know, I've thrown out the word gothic several times now, and many people may not know what we're talking about, so can you kind of give us a foundation, give us a background, talk to us about what gothic literature is all about? Absolutely. When we think of gothic, we can go all the way back to the goths, or we can go to gothic architecture, but when we're speaking specifically about literature... Our starting point is 1764 with Horace Walpole's The Castle of Otranto, which had a number of uh, ingredients that Harry Potter fans would recognize, including uh, the old castle and family secrets and um, strange things coming out uh, of the woodwork to surprise the, the heroine and the hero. But Horace Walpole's Castle of Otranto is is considered to be the first modern work of Gothic literature. And shortly after that, Anne Radcliffe became, for all practical purposes, the mother of Gothic literature. She wrote a number of books such as The Mysteries of Udolpho in 1794, The Italian in 1797, and uh, quite a few others, was a best-selling author in her day. And in fact, Jane Austen in her um, Northanger Abbey, which is sort of a parody of Gothic literature, brings Radcliffe up uh, in particular as this figure that embodied the Gothic. There's a lot of other key texts that came out in the late 18th and early 19th century that are considered to be the, the works that set the mold for the Gothic. Books like Matthew Lewis's The Monk in 1796, William Thomas Begford's Bathic in 1786, of course, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley's Frankenstein in 1818, and Charles Robert Maturin's Melmoth the Wanderer in 1820. So what do all these books have in common? They started out really creating this first movement of the Gothic, and it changed over time. You see how the Romantics, people like Byron and Coleridge and Polidori and others put their own spin on it. You get things like vampires coming out of that. Um, you have the Victorian movements, uh, both in Europe with people like the Bronte sisters and in the U.S., people like Edgar Allan Poe. And eventually through the 20th century, you get uh, writers like H.P. Lovecraft and those who wrote for Weird Tales, bringing the Gothic to uh, a different century with a different modern sensibility. And of course, we have the Gothic all the way up till today. But all of these works share certain traits. If I had to define what the Gothic is, I'd steal a bit from scholar Jared Hogel and say that we can think of four major ingredients for the Gothic. The first ingredient of the Gothic imagination would be that it's rooted in its setting, an antiquated space, a claustrophobic place, whether it's a castle or even a spaceship. You can think of the movie Alien, for example, as a, as a modern reworking of a classic Gothic story. Also, the Gothic story is absorbed with the past, either in general, wow, this stuff is old, or with a recent personal past. And all of the stories that 
make a character who he or she is. And a third point would be the, um, the association of the story with secrets that are either literally haunting the characters or psychologically haunting the characters. Uh, they're either in their mind worrying about how these secrets uh, will be uncovered and what they will mean once the mysteries are solved, or they're really the subject of, uh, of ghosts and spirits. And lastly, the, the gothic story is involved with blurring the line between the natural and the supernatural, which ends up making the gothic story a natural parent of the modern science fiction, fantasy, and horror genres. But there's two more points I'd like to make to, to keep in mind when we think about how the gothic tradition relates to Harry Potter. One is something that scholars David Punter and Glynis Byron have said, and that is that Ever since 1764, when the genre really kicked off, the Gothic has flourished at times of actual or potential social upheaval. In other words, this has been a genre where you have protest, uh, challenging of the status quo, it's giving voice to the voiceless and subversive in one way or another. So when you think of how this has played out over time, Early works, for example, written by Protestants during the tumultuous time of the Inquisition, dealt particularly with Catholicism. Later works by women novelists are critical of the suffocating restrictions placed on women in male-dominated societies. Others, other Gothic stories penned during the Industrial Revolution reflect fear of dehumanizing mechanization and urbanization. And there's ways I think we can say that also Rowling is playing into this to give the voice to her concerns. And lastly, the mother of the Gothic, Anne Radcliffe, said something really interesting about what the Gothic uh, really is in her essay on the supernatural and poetry. And she said that we shouldn't think it's just horror, being, being scared. It's, it's about terror. And she says, terror and horror are so far opposite that the first expands the soul and awakens the faculties to a high degree of life. The other contracts, freezes, and nearly annihilates them. So, in other words, where horror paralyzes the individual, the experience of terror sublimely wakes up the soul to its own power. And I think that's really the story of Harry Potter, about a soul awakening to its own understanding and its own power as Harry grows up and discovers who and what he is and what choices he must make. That, that's a fantastic introduction. That's a fan, that's yes, a, especially as it relates cut. to Harry. Yeah, cut. We're done. Um, especially <laughs> as it relates to Harry Potter and the soul and and getting it. I mean, we've done a, John and I have done a lot of uh, talk on souls in Harry Potter, uh, and I think that I, I've argued recently that Harry Potter is more than anything else a story about two souls. It's it's a story mm -hmm. about the soul, and so the gothic elements that that come into that I think are exceedingly important. So. So many questions, so many ways we could go there. Um, well, let's, let's, we should start with the beginning of the book, which yeah. the way Amy's talked about this is really the terror that the Dursleys have when all of a sudden these messages from no one begin to appear and to flood. We, we get almost a scene from the birds where these letters keep coming and coming. And, they're, and they're from this mysterious character, no one, that, you know, as the, the chapter title is, you know, letters from no one, is, is coming in here and we don't know what it's about and where they're from, and Harry's mystified and curious, and he's been living this, this classic gothic tale. He's, 
He's he's like Jane Eyre. He's been beaten up by his cousin. He's uh, abused by his aunt. He exactly he lives, locked lives, up in a little room under the right. stairs. He's, Talk he's, about he's claustrophobia. In, he, that's right. He's in the red room, right? I mean, this this is Jane Eyre. Harry basically is Jane Eyre to start off, and he goes off and he meets you know Severus Snape or Miss Miss Scratchherd or whatever. I mean, he, he gets the Jane Eyre experience, and all of a sudden the letters from no one come, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, I, it's I enchanting. Love that. I love that. like. Excuse me, John. I love that parallel too, with regard to normal and magical, at, at, hey. which is the natural supernatural tension. And there, there's that last uh, bastion of defense against anything that is not Dursley normal, and that's the the tension with which we begin. And and that really is the premise of the book. We, we get I mean, Harry Potter is a schoolboy novel. I mean, that that is its core genre. It is not a, a, a gothic novel per se. But what makes it different than Tom Brown's School Days and Enid Blyton's stuff and and the, 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 the pedestrian schoolboy novel is that it's saturated with these gothic elements that Amy was talking about. We get all of this, 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 uh, this, this suffusion of the supernatural so that it's normal. You know, you've you got, got a poltergeist here, you've got a ghost over here, you've got Count Sanguini at the party, you've got, you got a troll in the basement. You know, I mean, this is not, not your normal uh, boarding school, we hope. You know, this is not, this is, this is not uh, what Eaton is supposed to be about. <clears throat> exactly. And almost immediately, we're introduced to these mysteries, these secrets that have been kept from Harry. When he discovers not only what he is, he's going to be a wizard, but wait, his his parents didn't die as he was told they had died. There, There's something caught up with uh, this, this massive war that had taken place that somehow they're involved with. And it's not just uh, the wizarding world is magical, but his own bloodline, his own family past, who he is and what makes him who he is, is, uh, is immediately brought into question. And really, you spend the next seven books unraveling all of those secrets. Right. In, that one, in, that, in that origin story for Harry, we get you know, the tainted blood, bond of blood cliche from the Gothic. We get the confused origin story. And we get the scar of the telltale mark. I mean, basically, you've got 25 gothic cliches that will appear in certain quantity. With Harry's beginning, you get three hallmarks just to make sure that you get it. You know, hey, we got a boy with a scar here. We don't know where he comes from. And it's about his blood. You know, this, this, is, this is as if you have uh, Frankenstein and, and Dracula walk through the Dursley's living room. Okay, Cue the gothic story. <laughs> I have a question for you three. What scene or at what moment in the series do you first experience uh, real terror? When has Rowling actually moved us to that level and achieved that effect that Poe valued so highly? I think it's Rowling herself when asked, you know, are the books getting darker, you know, when book five, when we're basically in the dark the entire book. She says, hey, Voldemort's head on the back of, of, of Quirrell's uh, turban is about as terrifying as I can get. Well, um, I, th- I think certainly, she... certainly for me, when, when we see Quirrell's head, I mean, Voldemort's head on the back of his head, I think, wow. I think, I, and I think she starts just a little bit earlier in that same novel. I wasn't necessarily afraid of it. I think you're right that that's the key first really intense moment. But at the moment when Harry's standing in the forest and suddenly a cloaked figure stands yes. up and there's silver no. blood dripping down its cloak, that's really our first. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> yeah. And it's terrifying because it's unknown. He can't really see who's there. Um, He just knows there's a shadowy figure. He can't identify. He can't really see exactly what's happening. And this notion that there's something just beyond the mist there, that's the key to uh, a lot of the mysteries that are happening. uh, 
and that he, he can't quite see it, the, the unknown aspect of that, I think is more frightening than actually, whoop, the turbine's off and now we see yeah. Quirrell slash yeah. uh, Baltimore. And, and that Harry freezes makes us think, well, maybe it's not that scary, but Draco cues us into what our proper response is supposed to be here. Yeah. You know, we're yeah, supposed yeah. to run screaming <laughs> yeah, into the forest. Ah! It actually is. There's ah, H-H-H-H-H H, 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 all, all the way across the page. That's right. Draco. Ah! <laughs> That's good. Was that was that your first scene, James? Was that when you thought that, that was? The- I would have said Quirrell at the end, and and, and certainly when the uh, when that friendly kid from fifty years ago, Tom Riddle, oh, hand me my wand, please, will you? And he's <laughs> twirling it there, and then of course the rearrangement of the letters of the name—that's a pretty terrifying moment too in Chamber of Secrets. Mm. And again, in, 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 in that scene, and in the scene in front of the mirror of Erised, we're underground. We're in this subterranean passage. We're in a narrow space with this, this horrific evil. So we get this feeling of terror. Not necessarily horror. I mean, this is not, this is not chainsaw massacre stuff. This isn't the stuff that Radcliffe is saying freezes you and, and strips you of all your understanding. This is terror, yeah. which is... Uh, heightens all of your senses, uh, makes you more aware of who you are and what you're about. Uh, and, and it actually makes you, makes you more sensitive to the fact of death, I mean, that, which I think is, to me, the hallmark and the point of Gothic is, is basically to rub the immediacy of, of death uh, mm-hmm. in a world which denies death. Uh, that, that really, the Gothic grows out of the reaction, as you were saying, to, to the Industrial Revolution and this, and this putting off of the world as a fallen place that, that we're going to somehow uh, have a uh, heaven on earth created by our material circumstances, the Gothic brings back into the thing that, hey, right underneath the carpet, there's something ugly and supernatural that wants to kill you, that wants to eat you for breakfast. Um, exactly. And the dead are as much uh, you know, active characters as the living are. That thinning that veil and, and making that uh, dialogue between the living and the, and the dead uh, makes you think about death all, all the more. Well, you want okay, to so, talk so, about death in Fury? I mean, the whole concept... Rowan basically brings zombies into her story with her in Fury. And so, awesome. so awesome. So awesome. It really, probably, if you want to talk about the height of... I mean, the first one for me is the, the Voldemort dripping blood down his cloak and everything. But if you want to talk about really the height of fear in the story, probably that scene in the cave when there's suddenly an army of zombies. I mean, the, the idea of the dead coming back is as old as literature. I mean, in Gilgamesh, Ishtar reminds everybody that there are more dead than the living, and I'm going to break open the gates of hell and let the dead out, and the dead will outnumber the living, it's said there. So that it's, it's a horrifying concept, and, and very well done, hey, I think, in that the, case. The Inferi don't scare me. It's when they take him into the water, and yeah. I think, oh, no. You know, <laughs> it's scary enough to be carried around by the dead guys, but they're taking me into the water inside a cave. You know, mm-hmm. Things are not looking real good there for Harry. You know, that, 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 yeah, you're right. That, that may be the, the uh, terrific, to use that word as it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, the terrific climax of the series. And, I mean, even when Harry's going toe-to-toe with Voldemort in the Great Hall, I'm thinking, you know, not compared to the dead bodies taking me into the water. I think the no. only competing scene is the snake coming out of Batilda Bagshot's dead body. That, that'd yeah. be your competition yeah, they, right there. There, there, is a, there is a great gothic high. This all makes me think of also the one of the other scenes that just really uh, uh, hit it for me in terms of making you think of the immediacy of death and having, and that's well, first of all, the setting of Grimmauld Place, but then 
the experience that Molly Weasley has with the Boggart, where she sees all of her family members dead, mm-hmm. here in this setting where you have literally people who are dead calling insults at you from their portraits, right? So the dead <laughs> are heckling you. While and the beheaded you're... house elves, whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So you've got it coming from all sides. The, the images of your worst fears while, you know, the other dead people are heckling you about your fears. But I, I felt that scene much more emotionally on subsequent readings for some reason. But to imagine Molly there looking at one after another, the children. And ironically, she's comforted uh, most by uh, Sirius and Lupin. Mm-hmm. Of course, will not make it through, and they're they're telling her we'll we'll make it, you know, uncomforting. It's a it's a very emotional scene, very powerful, and she's so apologetic. Sorry, just being silly. Of course, she's just being a loving mother. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful scene. But I think on on my own reading, at least, the first time that I ever really considered a bogart potentially frightening. I mean, it just kind of seemed comic yeah. in Prisoner yeah. of Azkaban, but when yeah. Molly can't stand one down and is seeing what she's seeing, now the bogart becomes a powerfully scary creature. Oh yeah, and another person can't fully. I'm sorry, another person can't fully appreciate what is terrifying to to someone else. Remember, one of the girls wonders why Lupin is scared of crystal balls. Right. <laughs> and, and 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 well, in that scene, we see all the all their fears, and they're and they're kind of cliche. You know, they're big spiders, they're mm-hmm. mummies, this and that. But as a parent, when I see Molly, you know, driven to her knees by her her dead family. An entirely different experience. Mm-hmm. I think to myself, this is probably what I would see if the Bogart yeah. comes out as a thing. You know, as, as, a, as a daddy, I say, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah. I, yeah. And Rowling, Rowling seems to be doing this uh, this gothic these gothic touches as deliberately as she's doing the schoolboy novel. In that, she actually includes inside the story gothic stories. I mean, the stunner to me of, of the gothic story inside the story is when she has in the middle of the Battle of Hogwarts. Harry's trying to find this Deatom Horcrux, mm-hmm. and yes. she decides to, to have, you know, uh, <laughs> the Ravenclaw ghost decide yeah. to tell this gothic story. And mm-hmm. everybody sort of sits around. I imagine Harry sitting down, <laughs> crossing his legs, everybody's with his chin in his hand, and listening to this gothic horror story, which is straight from Anne Radcliffe. Exactly. I mean, you guys, you guys probably have got your favorites too, but that that was such a stunner, and that she decides to put this set piece story right at the climax of the books. Well, Amy, what do you think the mock gothic elements might be? The ones she's clearly inverting or having fun with? Maybe nearly headless Nick type things? Uh, is is this element strong in the series? Yes, I think I would distinguish the way she does it from the way that, say, Jane Austen did with Northanger Abbey, because mm-hmm. Jane Austen really thought this literature in a way, was horrible, and she called certain novels horrible novels uh, that she mentions in the book and and plays off of them, and was attempting to make a a critique by twisting it and and tweaking it in that way. And I think Rowling is is much more um, being lovingly playful, and Nearly Headless Nick is is the perfect example, I think, Um, uh, because you have, you know, his whole story, and you have, you know, his, his, uh, his death day party, and you have all of these things brought in. Peeves is another one. And then also the way she's playful with a lot of notions of what monsters are, when they're actually not monsters, they're just you know different kinds of magical creatures who can who can speak to you and and um, I, I think she t- tends to be on the whole though more serious about the gothic than she is playful, and so all of the things uh, that the ongoing horror about Harry 
with his bloodline and and uh, what he might have inherited and you know is he the heir of Slytherin and what does it mean that he can um, speak parcel tongue and what does it mean that you know and and the other characters as well I mean the image of Sirius Black's name darkened off of his own family tree is a really powerful image uh, and thinking you know what what sort of bad blood is running through through that family as well and what sins of the past are being revisited on the next generation and how much is you know is uh, atoning for the evil doings of the past and how many basically old stories are going to be retold with uh with the young generation i mean that's just that's just so very gothic and i think that also if we think about the way she she deals with choice the gothic has traditionally been about characters who don't have much choice one of the reasons the spaces are so claustrophobic uh and and foreign and frightening is is to show that the characters really literally back up against a wall and so much of the series is about harry learning what choices he does have in this narrow space that's been defined for him by prophecy, by other people's expectations, by his own hopes of what he's going to be in terms of a, you know, going from a, a, a boy to a man. But there is a crucial, in, in every book, and particularly, of course, in, in the last, there's these crucial moments where he has to decide, um, well, as Dumbledore would say, you know, between what's right and what's easy. And using this genre seriously more than playfully i think to and and these spaces whether it's underneath the um underneath hogwarts or underneath the stairs back with the dursleys to show that you know yes to some degree he has a lot of things have been decided for him but in the end uh this is the story about the decisions that he gets to make himself i think it's brilliant the way she she does that and really then underscores you know one of the main points of the entire series Well, we have to cut the conversation off right there. It's all we have time for for this segment. The rest of the conversation will be on another episode of Pottercast, where we finish talking about gothic elements of Harry Potter. Stay tuned, of course, for my post later this week at Pottercast.com. And if you want more information on the pundits, visit us at Potterpundits.com. It's the drum! I feel like we just started. What? It feels like we've just started and we're ending already. Let's let's do let's do a JK Rowling Twitter update. For those listening, it hasn't actually been a whole show since we updated, so in about three minutes since we actually said it last, now she's at twenty thousand one forty five. There you go. Yay! Amazing, and I refreshed right after that, and there were four more. Let me refresh again. Three more. I love it. That's my favorite. New we game. need to get like a Twitter. Is that noise, Frankie? We need like a Twitter update, like like music note or some sort of like s- s- noise, John. That that you should get on then. Maybe ask. Yeah, and like I think all the snakes in the world would rejoice against that. <laughs> they take your rolling like snakes. <laughs> I see. What? <laughs> You'd be like, I'm <laughs> uh, so what, what, why are they so excited about the fact that they are, are a snake? You have to listen to uh, you have to listen to the Prince by Pieces. Go back and yes. <laughs> no, I, I I believe it. I it's believe that they're excited about the fact that they are indeed themselves. So funny. Uh, so okay, Melissa, what's going on with you? 
Melissa, for those that don't know, she was just down in Florida, and you're going to be putting up videos, right, Melissa? Yes, been uh, videos and pictures as soon as I get past the horror of what has happened in my apartment this week. Oh, yeah, you had that pretty mm. uneventful week, right? Uneventful? What happened? I've been watching soap operas all week, don't you know? Slacker. Melissa, what happened? There, some idiot in my apartment building brought in a mattress or something from the street and started a random infestation of bedbugs. I don't Ew. have them. Thank God. Thank the That's dear Lord. Happened. I don't. Yes. Thank God I don't have them because otherwise I wouldn't be allowed in my apartment for two weeks. But I did have to get everything cloth, my clothes, linens, my comforter, my everything out of my apartment, wash it all, bring it back. Now, just imagine, just imagine for a moment doing That's that. too gross. Never mind by yourself because, you know, I'm one person. Yeah. What if they got on Moochka? You have to give her a bath well, for like 20 minutes. I had to get Moochka out. I had to get Moochka out. It's a, like basically, it's like moving into my apartment all over again because it's not just clothes. You empty out your closet. They they come in, they spray everything. So then you gotta wash everything down because everything is covered in this like film of pesticide. And what so, about your kitchen and all your food? He missed and your the kitchen. He, did, he didn't do the kitchen. Oddly, oh. I think it's because they're they they want. If if I'm if I'm gonna have them, it's gonna be in like the couch or oh. you know. Right. They don't want. But food. I don't. Thank God. Oh my gosh, I don't. But no. So li- I mean, literally, guys, it's been my entire like my entire week. One day is emptying out and getting getting everything out. I didn't sleep the whole night. The next day, we when mom and I went to a laundromat and took up eight machines and just started just started doing giant loads of laundry. Then I say I had to stay over there because I'm letting the apartment air out. Then I got back here. Then I had to bring everything upstairs and I'm washing everything out. And the next day, I'm putting everything back in. And now all the clothes are in. And I got, but like I had a I had to go I had to get all my stuff out and go to and go to Goodwill immediately. Because otherwise, I wouldn't. They would close, and I wouldn't be able to get everything into my car to get it away in time for the exterminator. Oh right! Like right. <laughs> it's just—it's just a comedy of errors. So yeah. Anyway, That's I'm very fun. happy to be hanging out with you guys. Wow. I'll punch that person. It's gross. I won't wish this on anybody. It's the worst thing ever. Twenty thousand two thirty-one. By the way. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Twenty thousand two thirty-five. Uh, so, Frankie, Frankie, how are are you back at school? What, what how's life for you in California? I'm I'm looking for a job. Um, finish. I got a second interview at Apple, and then I started. I'm subbing again, and uh, yesterday I worked at Jim Henson Studios <gasps> for a little bit, which was fun. Did you like so, want to sing? I was just I was assembling folders. It was nothing too creative, but it was really awesome being in that environment and looking at like. Muppets and puppets and all this nonsense in classic Hollywood. Did you get to see Kermit? Did they have him? Kermit, well, Kermit, Kermit, and Fozzie and all of them—they stay on the Disney lot because Disney does own them now. Oh. But they do come over and visit occasionally because they get kind of bored because the fact that Disney does not apply or use that vast treasure and IP at all. So they do come over and visit on their free time. But I didn't see too many of them now. How the heck did Kermit? It was Kermit was able to go out with Lady Gaga at the VMAs. Did they get permission because from Disney for that? Must have, because... Like, how the hell do you ask Disney, can we please borrow Kermit to go out with Lady Gaga? Like, she's well, so she was strange. There. <laughs> she was there, and she's really nice. Is she? Wait, Lady Gaga yeah. was there? Yeah, she was with Kermit. No, come on, you're full of, you're full of it. Alright, fine. Why was Lady Gaga just randomly with Kermit? They're going out. <laughs> oh. Oh, you got me. Do you know what Kermit doesn't say? <laughs> what? No! Oh, no, I'm a snake! 
<laughs> That's heading back up the humor curve. It's gonna get really funny again real soon. Yeah, well, it's like, oh, right at the top. It's, it's like it's the whole back up. Oh no. Hey, Joe just tweeted. No, she didn't. No, she oh, didn't. No. Major look. See. I bet you three people looked. Uh, Major check. We need to come, need to come up come <laughs> up with a new word for when Joe tweets. Oh, I do have something that I might be doing re- soon. Mm-hmm. My commissions will be done tomorrow, <gasps> so everybody, Yay. by the time listen, you'll have them. But I might be doing a limited edition self-published sketchbook, so keep the, <gasps> keep an eye really? out. Really? Seriously? Yeah. That would be cool. So yeah, I might I might do that. I, might, I just need to work out logistics, so that might be fun. Oh, awesome! Well, on that note, guys, oh, it's that time again. Keep twiddling those dials. The next password is Twitter. Wow, wow, wow! Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> That's a long password. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's awesome. Oh, you you off, sorry. <laughs> Keep faith. Wow, <laughs> good night. <night. laughs> <laughs> We've missed it. W3. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. This week's podcast is brought to you by Frankie's first ever sketchbook. What? What? What is that? It's my first ever sketchbook that I'm self-publishing, and I'm doing a limited run of only of 100, all signed and numbered. You can check it out at my blog at frackfracko.blogspot.com, and then you can look for that link. It should be towards the top. So buy one! (laughs) Yeah, is there any podcast some, drawings in there? There's a few. Um, most of uh, there's a few like favorites, and then a bunch of new ones that no one's that never made it to my blog. Most of them, uh, most of the new ones are from tour. <gasps> I want your next sketchbook to be called Mister Doodles Book of Doodles. Mister Doodles Book of Doodles, <laughs> and then it'd be like, dude. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Anyway, thank you for sponsoring this week's podcast, Frankie. Oh, yes, thank you. And all of you, check out frackfracko.blogspot.com. Woohoo!